Thank you, choir. That was great. I enjoyed that. Thanks, Bob, for helping. Well, good morning. Well, for you that have been coming last uh, probably month or so, you know that Joe uh, has been doing a, uh, a study through the book of Luke, and he will continue that next week when he gets back. So I have the privilege and opportunity this morning to bring the word to you. It's always a challenge for me to pick a one kind of topic to preach on. And so many times you'll notice I have to keep it topical and I'll use a lot of verses from a lot of different chapters um, because it's hard to do it expository preaching in just a few, one week. The title of my uh, sermon this morning is Back to School. Back to School. And the text uh, comes from 2 Timothy 2.15. And for you, probably three or four out there that have a King James Version. We're going to be reading from the King James Version today. A little bit of old English, and I'm doing that mainly because I want to look at one word. Study to show, shoe, that's how you say it, right? Study to shoe thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to worship you and to come before you and bring our praise and bring our adoration and our honor that you are worthy of. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us as your church. You have set us apart for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, we recognize that we need your word week in, week out to speak to our hearts, to build faith in our hearts and lives. Pray now, Lord, as we open up this scripture this morning, that you would open up our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would just open our eyes, that we might see the truths that lie there in your word. And we ask these things in your son's blessed name. Amen. Well, this upcoming week is the start of school for many. My kids go to Rocky Bayou Christian. They start tomorrow. I think the Public schools are starting Wednesday. I know homeschooling's already kicking in because we already had a group of classical conversations last week meeting at the church. And I know people are going off to college. Many are asking, if you're a student, you're like saying, where did the summer go? And while you may be dreading, you know, the homework and the tests, some of your parents are like a little happy, you know, that school time. <laughs> Especially, you know, when they're younger, right? Because they're always asking, you got to find something them, for them to do. You know, now my kids have cars or, or driving, they all want to go somewhere and they keep pretty busy. But I don't have to, we don't have to keep them occupied all summer. There's an interesting etymology, you know, the word etymology, I like origin of words to the word school. Uh... In the Old English, the word school, S-C-O-L, stands for institution of instruction. But the English borrowed that word from, guess what language? The Latin, which most of lot of comes. And we got the word scholar, S-C-H-O-L-A, where we think you get what? Scholars, scholarships, scholastics, right, right? And the definition for the Latins, it was a meeting place for teachers and students, a place of instruction, 
Uh, it also could mean uh, disciples of a teacher or a body of followers. But the Latin borrowed it from, who do you think? The Greeks. And got the Greek word sko, S-K-H-O-L-E, with a little old squiggly line over it. Which Listen to this. Which means spare time, leisure, rest, ease. So students, when you go back to school this week, I want you to think of school, you know, as a time of ease and rest and pleasure. Because, you know, back in the day when the Greeks were writing it, it was people didn't get to go to school, right? And it was a blessing to be able to go to a place of learning and learn new ideas. And so I, I bet you if I offered some of you parents an opportunity to go back to school and you'd get paid your normal wages, many of you would probably take me up on it to study new things. As long as they didn't give you tests right and have to write term papers, you'd probably take me up on that. Interestingly, the only time this word school is used in the Greek is in Acts chapter 19. And it's where it said that Paul reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus. For you who were in the uh, Acts class, you probably remember that. Paul used this guy's temple, his house, and he would preach the gospel there. In fact, he preached for two years in that one school. And Luke recorded, said, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Many had come to that school to learn and hear the gospel. Today, though, I would like to think about being in Christ's school. For you see, if we are believers, we are what? Disciples. We are learners or students, right? Standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of the awakening grace that's in him, conforms his or her words to the ways and words of Jesus. In our school, the subject is Jesus Christ. The book is the Bible, the word of God. And you know, as we learn more about the subject of Jesus and the word he becomes more of an object of worship. The more you know him, the more you want to worship. And this school is for life and beyond. You never graduate. Oh, yes, you may graduate to heaven, but we will never graduate from learning about, knowing about the triune God. Listen to these words in Jesus' prayer in John 17. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Think about that. We will be spending an eternity getting to know the triune God. Class will always be in session. Think about your favorite class when you went to school. Wasn't it a joy to learn new things in that particular class? I have to admit my favorite class was Jim. He... <laughs> But I always like playing new things, you know. In today's passage, in 2 Timothy, Paul is giving instructions to the young Timothy as leader of the church in Ephesus. 2 Timothy is probably one of Paul's last letters he writes before his execution. And he is, in effect, passing the baton 
to the young Timothy and wants to ensure that Timothy continues the work that Paul, or more importantly, that God had started in him. And if you read the book, Paul hammers home the importance of following the pattern of sound words. He admonishes him to guard the good deposit entrusted to him by the Holy Spirit. And he is told to entrust this deposit, which is the gospel, to faithful men. He is, as we saw in today's verse, to be a workman, a laborer of the word of truth to the effect that he's approved by God and not ashamed. Yes, this is a pastor's epistle, and it is directed to the elder Timothy to train other faithful leaders, but there are many principles in here that apply to all of us as believers or disciples. I have three points today in my message. Good Presbyterian, right? Number one, we are privileged to be in God's school. Number two, we are called to be good students, workmen of his word. And then number three, I want to look at why it is important to be a good student. Number one, we are privileged to be in God's school. This isn't directly in the text this morning, but it goes beyond saying it's based on the whole book of Timothy, which I commend to you to read. But I'm using this word today, school, as another metaphor for body of believers, the church, okay? Because if you go back to the root word of the word school, which we just talked about, it means body of followers or disciples with a teacher, and our teacher is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus commanded us, what? Go into all the world and make disciples, learners, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you were handpicked for his school, his body, his family, before the foundation of the world. Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Paul reiterates this great truth in Ephesians when he says, He, God, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think if you were chosen to go to Harvard or Yale or some famous Ivy League institution, even before you were born and had taken an SAT or ACT, but just by the fact that you're going to be born one day. This is a school choice program, but we don't make the choice. God does. It's all God's grace. In Colossians, it says that he, Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look, You can look at it this way. He is taking us out of a failing school district, the domain of darkness, and putting us in the best elite school, his school, the kingdom of God. Whether you know it or not, at one time we were knowingly or unknowingly following the tutelage of Satan himself because our eyes were blinded, as the word says, to the God of this world. Further down in Colossians, Paul says that once we were alienated and hostile in mind 
doing evil deeds, and he reconciled us to his body of flesh by his death. That verse would say we were bad students, rebellious. Any of you, any of you a bad student in your day? You know, rebellious, not listen to the teacher. All good students out there, right? But we were rebellious towards God, and yet, despite our rebellion, he makes us righteous, he makes us holy. So I ask you this morning, what are we going to do with this great opportunity of being chosen to be put in his school, part of his family, part of his church? Which leads to my second point. Because of what Christ has done for us, we are called to be good students. We are called to be good workmen of the truth, all right? First, I would, under this point, I'm going to have two subpoints. Don't want to confuse you, but first, I would like to talk about what does it mean by the word of truth, and then secondly, what it means to be a good student. What is the word of truth that Paul talks about here? Simply, it's another way of saying the word of God. It could also be described as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul was all about the gospel, and so should we be. In Romans, Paul describes the gospel as the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And you know, we must recognize that this gospel is more than just information or knowledge. It is God personally speaking to us. He is speaking directly to that. Think about that. He chose to speak to us with words about his character, about his nature, about his creation to us. This word that became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he speaks to us today. For the word of truth is Jesus himself, right? He is the way, the truth. And the life. We need to ask ourselves, how do we look at the scripture when we read it? How do we hear sermons when they're spoken? What should our posture be when we read the word of God? We need to recognize that the word of truth is more than exposition, illustration, and application. Those are the three things you got to have in a sermon, right? Although those are important. God's word is not like a frog that you dissect. Although it's important to get in there and learn the Greek and the Hebrew and look at uh, uh, commentaries and learn what others have gone before us said. The Bible is not just a story. It's not just an idea. It's a word on target. It's a word for someone. It is a word to you and to me. God specifically speaks his word to us. It's one-on-one, one-on-one tutoring, spending time with Jesus Christ. I love Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We should be motivated to be good students of God's word because he speaks to us through his word. His word overflows with the gospel, the grace of God, which we so desperately need every single day. So what are we to do with this word of truth, the gospel? Well, we're to believe it. We're to cherish it. 
We're to understand it. We're to protect it. We're also to study it. Which gets to my second point of studying, being a good student, sub-point. How would you define a good student? Well, we know there's a lot of good habits to have of a good student. Eagerness to learn, right? Teachable. Humble. You don't don't like coming like trying to teach a (laughs) know-it-all. We don't like know-it-alls, right? Puffed up. A good student is diligent. Disciplined, right? Always learning. Always learning. I'm speaking to the older folks here today. Never retire from learning something new, whether it's in God's Word or in some other body of knowledge out there. There's always things to learn. God has given us great minds to learn, and He asks us to use them. So always be learning. I love Proverbs 18:15. It says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge in the ear of the wise seeks knowledge are you a seeker of knowledge today are you in the quest for learning more about our lord jesus christ i think the one uh, verse paul comes to my heart one thing i've asked of the lord or that david i will seek i will dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the lord and to inquire in his temple that was from David, one of the Psalms. So Paul provides some instruction on what it means to be a good student. He tells him he needs to apply himself to the study of the word as a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, that word study, again, in the King James, only used in the King James, because at the time of when the King James was written, uh, this idea of, of being diligent and working hard went with the definition of study. But if you look at the word in the Greek, it means to be swift, to move speedily by showing full diligence, fully applying oneself, acting fervently, great commitment to the word. ESV translation says, do your best. We need to do our best when we're studying God's word, his word of truth. Let me ask you this morning, are you eager to study God's word? Is there a relish to God's word when you read it? Can we cry out with David, oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation of my heart all the day. If not, and we struggle all with it, pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to enliven you to make it real. It's not like it every day. But there should be some joy when you read God's words. There is a greater responsibility for those who, like myself who teach the word, right? I think I'm not going to lighten that fact. Paul, when he's writing this, he's writing it to Timothy, who's to instruct the other elders with the other churches to, to study the word. In fact, James said, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But it doesn't get us off the hook as regular believers. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Colossae, which included all the saints. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. We have a call, a responsibility to 
teach and disciple someone in some capacity. Fathers, you are called to teach and disciple your children. I would ask you would look for opportunities to teach and lead Bible studies. When you are responsible for teaching a class or leading a Bible study, you will be forced to get into the Word. And it's a good opportunity. A good student is precise, rightly handling or dividing the word of truth. We must understand that biblical truth is not just an issue left up to everyone's interpretation. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle or divide the Bible. The Bible does just not mean what anyone wants it to mean. We can't just pick the interpretation that seems the most that's most comfortable with us and claim it as true. It must be rightly dividing the word of truth and it must be consistent with what the Bible says in the specific passage and the entire message of the scripture. In other words, we must use scripture to interpret scripture, right? If you come up with some idea in scripture, you need to find it supported somewhere else in scripture. We need good I'm going to give you a big word here. Hermeneutics. It's not some disease you catch. Hermeneutics simply is understanding the interpretation of something. One thing, folks, is reformed believers, we hold to the doctrine of, and I'm going to give you another, you're going to get two big words today, okay? Hermeneutics. I'm going to quiz you after you leave, all right? I even have a hard time saying the second word, but it's funny the word means something. Well, you'll see simple, but it's hard to say. Perspicuity. Perspicuity of Scripture. All right? Well, what does that mean? That means the Scriptures are clear enough, especially when it comes to regard to salvation, that anyone can understand them. Listen to what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about that. It says, those things that are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or another that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. In other words, the matters of salvation that are written in the Bible are simple. They're plain. They're out there that even a child can understand. But that doesn't mean people won't try to twist the scriptures to say what they want. That's why we must be good students of the word, being able to rightly divide the truth. All right, my third point. Why is it important to be a good student? You know, it's pretty obvious why it's important to be a good student right at school. All right, you want to do well, you want to learn, you want to succeed. Why is it important to be a good student of the word? There are many, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you three. There are many more, but <clears throat> first one is so we don't become biblically illiterate. So we don't become biblically illiterate. We are quickly becoming a biblically illiterate society and more worrisome, a biblically illiterate church. We are better off in the PCA. PCA probably, in our denomination, I think, have more informed believers. But overall, across the church, people are illiterate. 
just a couple weeks ago, and this is July of 2022, an article from Gallup entitled, Fewer in the U.S. Now See the Bible as the Literal Word of God, says, a record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. Half of what it was in high points in 1980. Meanwhile, a new high of 29% say the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, histories, and moral precepts recorded by man. Our society is becoming biblically illiterate, okay? Which means then we that have the Bible need to be able to understand it, know it, and be able to share it. And you know, if you dig down deeper, there's other, you go out there, Barna, Pew, I've uh, done research. If you dig down into the Bible knowledge of your average churchgoer, it's not very good. You ask them basic questions about the Bible. People don't know their Bibles. And if we don't know our Bibles, who's going to share the gospel with our neighbor? And if the people in our pews don't know the Bibles, you know what else happens? We become easily misled by false teachers and doctrines that go after strange and crazy ideas. And you see this happening in many churches today and in many denominations in America. Whole denominations are splitting over bad interpretations of the Bible. And we have to guard that. Now, one of the roles of elders in the PCA in this church is to guard the flock from these bad ideas. And we take that from instruction we receive in Acts. Acts chapter 20, Paul gives the elders in Ephesus these words. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You can be encouraged in our church. You have elders that are not only knowledgeable of the word, but they take it seriously. We guard that responsibility seriously. There are many churches that don't. And they deal with a lot of consequences of that. Second reason, obviously, why it's important to be a good student. So we don't wrongly handle or divide God's truth and it leads to heresy. We must protect the purity of the gospel, God's truth. I've already touched on this earlier. Probably this is the crux of the letter to Timothy. He's taking the baton from Paul and he needs to protect the, the flock from the wolves. That's why he says things like follow the pattern of sound words and entrust these things to others. And he says, avoid irreverent babble for it will lead to more ungodliness. He warns him in chapter 3 that men will arise that oppose the truth. We live in a culture today that opposes the truth. And unfortunately, many are capitulating to the culture instead of standing on truth. God's word, his holy, infallible word. In that same book, chapter 3, Paul says, All scripture is what? Breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has given us his word. He's breathed it out by him. We must give the right message to others. That's why we need to be good students. So we know what to share, 
how to share it. Final third point, why it's important to be good students, to protect us, to protect us as believers from conforming to the world. We live in a culture that is inundating us with ungodly and anti-biblical ideas every day through the media, through the government, through our schools, through pop culture, advertising, you pick your soup du jour. And it includes everything from sexual, human sexuality and the definition of the family, definitions of social justice, political correctness. I could go on and on. Words and definitions that have been around for thousands of years are being changed in thin air. Individual autonomy and sexual liberty are the prevailing ethos today without any serious recognition of what the societal impact will be. You can't avoid these worldviews, especially if you use social media. And our children are particularly vulnerable today because they grew up with it their entire lives. They and we are getting this stuff 24 by 7. I look at it like we go into the world every day and we get dirty. We get dust on us. But you know, there's nothing new under the sun. There have always been competing worldviews, always competing philosophies that we had to deal with. Paul dealt with it in the church in Colossae when he said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, but according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So how do we deal with this? How do we not be getting taken captive. Well, Paul dealt with it in his day, and he gave a useful admonition that if probably many of you know this scripture by heart. And it says in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. The only way is we can renew our mind, folks, is if we're in the Word, washing it daily, all right? And we need to do it daily. You know, in our house, we have a, uh, what's it called, one of the little robots, a shark, you know, that go along the floor and pick up dust, cars, Mr. French. Some of you that are older will remember Mr. French off a of family affair, Right? Mr. French runs every day, you know, and uh, I am amazed at how much dust he picks up every day, and we're a very clean family. Well, we just don't see it because dust uh, is just floating through the air, right? And so Mr. French every day does his job, except one time he ran over, our dog left a little surprise in the thing, and Mr. <laughs> actually, that wasn't Mr. French, that was Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> And we had to put him to, to rest after that. But every day picks up dust. Well, folks, you and I live in a world, you're, we're going to have these worldly ideas bombarding us, coming after us every single day. We need to be good students of the word and allow the word to wash us and cleanse our minds. Let me wrap this up. In summary, <clears throat> Paul is challenging Timothy as a leader in the church of Ephesus to guard the flock from false teachers 
bad doctrine. He was to be a preacher of the word, the gospel. He was to be a protector of the church. He was to apply himself to this service, this task, diligently. And it was an awesome responsibility. And Paul used that word, workman. You're a workman, Timothy. You're going to be responsible for this flock. You need to be into the scripture. You need to understand the word because people are going to be coming from all sides to try to upend you. Because, you know, there is a, we've talked about this before, there is an enemy out there, right? There's an enemy trying to upend the work of Christ and the kingdom of God. And so we must be on our guard. We must know what we believe and what we stand for. He was to be a man of the word who diligently studied the scriptures, who would not be ashamed when he stands one day before his Savior. For you see, Timothy, like all of us that are believers, are saved into a holy calling. Not because of anything we have done. We didn't have high SAT scores. We were in desperate need. But because of God's own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And because of that holy calling that you and I have, we are called to be good stewards, good students of the word of truth. The word of truth is not drudgery, but it's sweet to the taste. Another Psalm David Penn was, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to the mouth. So my friend, I ask you today, challenge you today, let's get excited about school and learning and studying God's word and enjoying the honey of that Beautiful, beautiful word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we recognize that we don't always give it the due diligence that we should. Lord, I pray that if there are some out here where that's been dry and, and not seeing anything come from it, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would make it real to them. I pray, Lord, that you would just stir our hearts to, to be workmen, that study your word, and to know your truth, and that you would speak your truth to our hearts. Help us, Lord. We know that it is easy to get conformed to this world, but Lord, we know that you transform us, you change us by your washing of your word. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our hymn of response, How Sure the Scriptures Are, number 312.